You know our slogan around here is better practice, better life. But we're taking this belief to the next level. And we've recently announced the creation of a new association. It's called the Best Practices Association. Our association celebrates the mindset that is better practice, better life. This mindset celebrates time, healthy living, personal growth, clinical excellence, and impacting the lives of your patients and your team through intentional leadership. In fact, we are the work-life balance experts in dentistry. The BPA will coach independent dental practices like yours to thrive by sharing best practices and operational habits, behaviors, systems, tools, and insight that lead to profitability and sustained growth, and you can still have a life. So if you're a dentist that wants to surround yourself with great thinkers, let us help you create your own version of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Yo, yo, yo. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Best Practices Show podcast. My name is Kirk Barron and I have the awesome pleasure of finding the rock stars, the biggest influencers, greatest teachers in dentistry, to bring you great information so you can create a better practice and a better life. And we are going to do exactly that today with one of the best educators in dentistry, Dr. Betsy Bakeman. Now, if you've never seen her speak or teach, you need to. She is a super classy human being that is just a phenomenal educator. And today we talk about the power in learning about gingival architecture, where she started and how she uses it and why you would want to consider it as a GP. And it is awesome. So hope you enjoy the episode. We'll see you soon. Hey guys, welcome back to the Best Practices Show podcast. My name is Kirk Barron. And like I always share with you, I get the fun job of interviewing the rock stars, the movie stars, the coolest people in dentistry to learn great stuff, to pass it along to you and help you create a better practice and a better life. And today is no exception. I've got an amazing rock star, movie star, awesome influencer in dentistry, Betsy Bakeman. And we're going to be talking about an important topic, gingival architecture, and why you would learn it in the first place, how, how you would use it and the role it would play in your practice. So Betsy, thank you so much for being on. I appreciate it. Thank you, Kurt. All right. I, uh, I always joke that, you know, you and I have not met in person. I think we, we have met in person, but, um, you've been on the show. You've been kind enough to be on the show. I said, but the first time that we actually have a drink together, you're going to be very underwhelmed, but I'm always impressed by what you do and what you're up to. Um, and I'm just going to say this because I've seen you speak a few times and it's awesome. It is fantastically awesome. You have a great voice in dentistry and you present things so well, but I want, uh, I want to start here. We have a lot of young listeners. We have dental students and even pre-dental students listening. And if they've never heard of Betsy Bagman, I want them to know who you are. So give us your bio first. Who are you? <laughs> I'm a general dentist. I practice in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I do a, a, I do some teaching primarily out at the Coy Center, um, which is an advanced teaching center. I think most people know it. Maybe not all know it. If you don't know it, you should know it. Uh, John Coyce is amazing and learned so much of what I do uh, from him. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, we're going to be talking about gingival architecture and talk, let's talk about the why first, you know, why gingival architecture and what is it and why is this such an important topic, especially in your practice? Well, you hear about the gingival architecture being this, you know, the framework for the teeth. And um, it's something that I never used to consider at all until I started going through the accreditation process in the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry. And they started talking about how this was really important, you know, for aesthetics. And uh, I just, I knew what I wanted to do. I learned where the architecture should be you know, the symmetry, the harmony, and but I didn't know how to manage it. I And I struggled getting my patients to go to the periodontist, um, you know, to go to a specialist. And I struggled with communication um, with my patients, with the specialist. And I, I just didn't know how to achieve optimal results. And so I was fortunate to hear John Coyce at my first AACD meeting in San Diego in 1996. And this was the topic. And I was, I was just blown away. Mm -hmm. I was just like, oh my gosh, to be able to manage that and do that yourself, that would be incredible. And so I started on the journey to do that. And it's really pretty simple. It's very manageable any general dentist can learn these techniques and it helps you in so many ways. Helps you prevent black triangles between the teeth, those open dark spaces between the teeth. It helps you place your margins so that you don't have exposed margins, you know, on your restorations a few months later or years later. And then vice versa. So you don't have biologic width violation, these red puffy gums because you've placed your your margins of your restorations too close to the bone. Um, it helps you optimize aesthetics. It's it's such a great skill to have and such great knowledge. And I could not practice without. I mean, every day it influences what I do and yeah. how I approach things. Okay, go back to this though. Go back to the periodontist thing. So Betsy. I'm so busy. That just sounds like a lot of work. And why I'm a GP too. Why, why would I like, what, what do most dentists get wrong about gingival architecture? What was your biggest learning as you started doing it on your own? How simple and predictable it is. Really? Oh yes. It's just so simple and predictable. Once you know what to do, it's, it's, amazing how simple and predictable it is and so we so that's the great part uh, and i help john quest teach these courses now i developed a couple of surgical models along with john and and uh, so people can have hands-on experience doing it and i think as soon as they do it on the models they're like i got that i mean it's a three-day course long days um but by the time people leave they say i can do this i i really um, I'm able to do this and, um, and, and predictably and well, and to be able to have that control is, is fabulous. Yeah. And, and even if you decide, I don't like, I don't like a little blood. I don't want it. I don't like working with a scalpel. I don't want to do that. Um, you just become better at communicating what you want with your periodontist. So it's helpful, you know, to, to know what the ceramist is doing, to know what the specialist is doing, we just become better communicators and we're more likely to get what we need when we work with our specialists. 
Yeah. And, and speak about this. There's a little danger as you learn more, you see more, you expect more of yourself. And so people think, oh, this journey of becoming a better restorative dentist is an easy one. No, you expect so much. And so I would imagine you're a lot like me, like, I like things the way I like it. You know, so like uh, not good enough. You know, the words change, you know, shade, shape, translucency, march, those, they take on different shapes and meanings as you progress in your career, correct? Oh, absolutely. And you can't unsee it. You know, once you see asymmetry in the gingival architecture and the patient's asking you about this, you know, tooth, this chipped tooth, this dark tooth, whatever it is, whatever it is that they're focused on, and then you say, you know, do I, you know, can I point out some other things that I see that may or may not be important to you, but, but if you're going to restore these teeth, you may notice afterwards that these gum heights aren't even on these two middle teeth. And, and there are opportunities to correct that before we do your two restorations so that it looks perfectly symmetrical. And people, patients often say, oh, I didn't notice that. Or, um, they might say, I didn't know you could correct that. And, um, you know, and especially people that have short teeth and gummy smiles where the teeth can actually be, there's actually more tooth structure under the gum tissue. People are amazed. They, I mean, they just didn't even know that that could be corrected. Yeah. And, um, and so they're so excited. It's, it's added expertise in the eyes of the patient that, that you're the first person that mentioned that this could actually be corrected for them. They didn't even know it. And honestly, a lot of dentists don't know it either. Yeah. Cause like, this is yeah. outside of the box a little bit. This is not something that's discussed, you know, openly and frequently, correct? That's correct. I mean, in dental school, you know, we're, we're taught a lot about single tooth dentistry and, and, and we're, we really focus on teeth. I mean, you get in dental school, dental anatomy, teeth, 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 teeth. And it wasn't, I mean, I didn't know that you could alter gingival architecture for aesthetic reasons until I was, oh, was I? Oh, it's like 15 years out of dental school. So, you know, I mean, all of a sudden when I saw that lecture, I was just like, wow, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I should be looking at that all the time. But then too, we talked last time about how it has to become part of your system. And if you don't make it part of your system, you can become overwhelmed with the chipping and the wear on the teeth and the, the discoloration on the teeth and all the other things that we're seeing that need to be addressed. And that's why it needs to be, it's step six in the system that we use, gingival symmetry and scallop. And we look at it every time not just for the upper teeth, but for the lower teeth as well. Yeah. Because as, as we age, everything drops and people start showing more of their lower teeth and displaying gingival architecture, architecture on the lower arch more than they do many times on the upper arch. So we look at it for upper and lower arch every time. Yeah, it's so funny you bring that up because... You know, we talk about this frequently on the show is, you know, dentistry is amazing. It's ne there's never been a better time to be a dentist right now. And patients are going to be living longer. One in three babies are born today are going to be living to be 100. You're going to be doing dentistry on patients as they age. And I've had a lot of airway experts on and they're like, you have no idea the impact of breathing through your nose and breathing through your mouth and its impact on the, you know, gingival you know, gingival aspects of things. It's so interesting. Dentists are positioned now more 
to be the primary health advocate of patients. And so um, it's, I don't even know where I'm going with that, Betsy, but it's like, it's almost dangerous that we know this stuff. You know, it's like I had Steve Carson sit down and he's like, you have no idea the impact on like breathing through your mouth and how it affects everything, you know, not just, uh, um, so it, it's very interesting when you say that. And now I also want to ask you about this, the accreditation process, you know, you, everyone looks at you and like, you're like, Betsy did it. And I'm like, Betsy's amazing, but that was not an easy thing for you to go through. And, um, you often, I've, I've heard now I've not been through it, that it is grueling. And so I would imagine gingival architecture was a huge piece of your accreditation process. So, um, I wouldn't call it going through accreditation grueling. I would call it challenging. Um, and a big, you you really need to have attention to detail. Um, and you know, they, the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry, they, they show you cases, the level of dentistry that you need to do in these five different case types. Um, one of them is replacing a missing tooth in the aesthetic zone. And that's really where, I mean, it's really important to manage tissue. So these, these skills are not just important for, you know, simple things, but more complex things like, you know, placing an ovate pontic to support the tissue. Um, managing the tissue around an implant because around a missing tooth in the aesthetic zone, really the thing that sort of makes it evident that there's something's not quite right there is that the gingival architecture doesn't look symmetrical with the contralateral side. So the papilla don't look the same, the free gingival margin doesn't look the same. And so these skills help you manage all that. And that's really what drove me out to the COIS Center because I didn't know how to do that predictably. And I was having trouble communicating. So, you know, the AECD says, if you're going to say you're a cosmetic dentist, you need to manage gingival architecture. Whether you do it yourself or you refer it to the periodontist to have them do it, you're ultimately driving the bus and and you all ultimately have to make the decision. So you need to be able to, to have those skills or communicate what you need um, to create an optimal result. And, you know, that's true with composites, with porcelain, whatever case type you're, you're working on. Um, and it pushes you and it pushes you with your photography. I mean, I had to learn photography to be able to go through the AACD accreditation process. I, 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 my photography skills were lousy in the beginning. And, um, and now there are people, I mean, their photography skills are just amazing. And I still could learn even more, but it's great. It's, it's, I mean, I couldn't practice without a camera now. And it's funny to think that you ever did, but, but you can't practice without a camera. It's like a handpiece. Um, you you use it to communicate with the lab. You use it to communicate with patients. I mean, it shows credibility, you know, that you can walk the talk. Here's another patient that has a similar problem. You know, this was their solution you know, you could have a similar result. And, um, and it, and patients just need to look at one uh, other patient that has a problem like they have with this solution that you're proposing. They go, yeah, no, I'm good. If I, if I have that kind of result, I would be thrilled. Um, And so photography is incredibly important. And the AACDs, you know, they, they say you need to have it. It has to be apples for apples as far as your photography goes. Um, same magnification, 
same angles, you know, same F stop. All those things have to be all the same so that it's your, your, the before and after it, it looks like the same patient. Yeah. <laughs> but the dentistry, you know, I mean, the dentistry has been done and, and people can tell it's a, it's a before and after picture. Absolutely. Absolutely. Number one, it's great to just have everything on the shelf. Like you said, this is what I do and I have done this. Number two, I've heard other people say this. As soon as you start taking photos, you up your game because you expect your photos to be better and the dentistry to be better over time. There's a natural process that happens with taking photos. Would you agree with that? Like you, you're just, you get pickier and pickier and pickier about things. Yes. You know, you, 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 when it's on a big screen, you know, it's you see things that you didn't see before. I mean, when we when I have a patient come back and they're in provisionals, we have the patients come back a week later um, for me to check their provisionals because I can design anything in wax or, you know, we can design anything digitally. But until we have it in the patient, um, their provisionals and we have them come back, they're no longer numb. And my staff go in and take the photos first because I like putting it up on the screen before I even go in to see the patient and I can see things in the photography that I wouldn't necessarily see if I were just to go in and, and speak with the patient. You know, they always look better. It always, but, but, but when you look at the pictures and you study the pictures in repose, you say, that maybe looks a little too long. And then you look at the, the smile picture and you're like, yeah, I still think that's looking a, just a little too long. And, you know, you're, you're looking at the whole face. You're, you're, you're evaluating the photos from different angles and profile. And you can see things in the photography about symmetry that, you know, when the patient's moving around and speaking that you wouldn't notice. Yeah. So those still photographs are so important. Yeah, absolutely. Now go back to the specialist thing, because I mean, I think what you're saying is you don't keep, I mean, you're not saying don't refer. You're just changing what you're doing internally, either with your periodontist. And then I would imagine your orthodontist plays a little bit of role in the gingival architecture too. Can you speak about just your philosophy in working with your specialists and how that's changed over time with gingival architecture? Yes. So, you know, orthodontists, the other way to change gingival architecture is to move the tooth. Um, and, and so when we have, when we have worn teeth, we wouldn't necessarily crown lengthen and move up on the root surface of the tooth. That might be an instance where we would push the teeth, intrude the teeth, and then add the length back on the teeth, um, you know, restoratively. Um, that would make more sense. So, you know, we always send letters, we always communicate. Uh, you know, with what I've learned, I do most of my aesthetic crown lengthening now in my practice. Um, I, I do that all myself um, and have learned those skills and feel very comfortable doing that. But functional crown lengthening to gain access to sound two structure, say on a molar where there's, you know, subgingival decay, I'm like, I'm going to let the experts, you know, do that. So I'll refer those patients to the to the periodontist to have that done. And I've done some grafting. I've taken Pat Allen's course um, down in Texas. Amazing educator as well. Um, does awesome course with, uh, you know, using allograft um, to, you know, as opposed to connective tissue, but connective tissue grafts as well. And I enjoy doing that, but I don't do it as frequently. And so sometimes those are things that I refer to the periodontist as well. But again, you learn things about how much you can actually anticipate the gingiva, you know, predictably, you know, moving the gingiva coronally. Um, 
you know, if the patient's lost a lot of bone in her proximal, you're, you're not necessarily going to be able to completely cover that root surface. And so, you know, learning about classifications of, of defects and recession helps us communicate to the, the patient, you know, you can have some tissue back, but you may not have all of it back based on your architecture. Um, or this, you know, this will predictably graft I mean, you should be able to cover the root surface 100% of the time here. So having that knowledge is great. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one thing I love about John Quest and what he's created, the classification systems for almost everything he does. He puts them in buckets that you go, that makes perfect sense. Like even the risk assessment, you're like, that is brilliant. And it's makes perfect sense. And so what you guys end up doing collectively as a group is making this complex stuff much more simple <laughs> to understand and digest. Yes. Um, I want to ask you yeah. about patients too. So if I'm a, gen a general dentist and I'm listening, I go, Betsy, but patients don't really care about gingival architecture. What would you say about that as you start to learn more oh. about it? Oh, yes, they do. Uh, and so it's, it's really funny. Um, you know, patients, when I'm pointing out, we have this asymmetry and, and, um, and I just fold it into the treatment plan. Um, and, uh, and, and they can always tell me they don't want it. But it's, it's interesting because patients will say, you know, if I'm going to do these restorations or, or if I'm going to invest this money, I'm going to do it right. And it's not necessarily right or wrong. It's, you know, it's aesthetic. And, and I will even say that to the patient. I'll say, you know, it's not necessarily right or wrong. It's just more optimal. Um, to, to correct this and, and make it more ideal. But in the patient's mind, they're thinking that's the right way to do it. And, um, and so, and people really appreciate that you've pointed that out. Um, because if you have an asymmetry in gingival architecture, say you have the right central with the tissue here and the left central here, and the patient's noticing the chipping and the wear on the biting edge or the discoloration. And now you make everything about those teeth beautiful, but now they're gonna be different sizes when you're finished. And now what's the patient gonna notice? And they're gonna say, why is this one tooth shorter than the other? Right. And when you finish the treatment is not the time you want the patient to be you know, asking those kinds of questions. You know, if they choose not to level it out, you can say, I, we talked about this, you know, I, I told you this, that the, this would look shorter and, and that's why, but I'll tell you now that I do these procedures in my practice, no one ever turns me down. Yeah. And so that's another thing about being able to do things in your practice. They don't have to go somewhere. They don't have to have a consult. They, it, it's easy for them. And, um, and so no one turns me down on aesthetic crown lengthening. It just doesn't happen because yeah. it's convenient and easy and they want to optimize the outcome. Well, and I'll say this, you're an excellent communicator and you're such a nice person. I can't imagine you, you know, pointing me in the wrong direction. A big piece of dentistry and, you know, any dentist listening knows is the ability to communicate is going to determine how far you go with this. And when you can confidently communicate, a lot of that comes from doing it the first time and then the second time and then the third time. And you're like, I've been here before. Um, and I've heard many dentists say this, when you can just trust yourself in a room with a, with a patient and they know that you're leading them in the right direction and you've learned these things, it's, it becomes a very natural process. So yeah. kudos to you. You do an excellent, we're going to do a communication 
one with you. I want to learn how you, how you've, how you've done all this. Um, but uh, we'll stick to this topic because I can go all different places on this. Um, I want you to talk about the changes in overall patient health, maybe in the, because you've been doing dentistry for a while now and people mention, you know, COVID it's patients are coming into your office with less stress, you know, less gum disease, less wear. I mean, what are you seeing now? And as, as the impact and, you know, the other thing is managing forces. I've, I, you know, do you feel like patients are coming in and they're wearing a lot of the stress that they have right here? So the gingival architecture becomes a piece of this for a long time, right? So I, I guess I'm, you know, your question, am I seeing changes after COVID with my patient pool? Is that your question? Yeah, changes with patients recently in the last couple of years, just overall health-wise. Patients aren't trending to get healthier, are they? And taking better care of themselves? Or is it about the same, you know, when it comes to that? I would say it's about the same. I know I have a, a different kind of practice. And so, um, but I, I, I don't see a big change. I, I definitely saw patients for a while that, you know, it had been a year. Some people were definitely delayed and, and felt uncomfortable coming in uh, to the practice, but certainly not all of them. I mean, 2020, the second half of the year, I mean, it just about killed us. Yeah. We were so busy um, trying to catch up. And, uh, and so you, you want to be there for people and you want to be available. And, and so it was really busy. Um, I, I would say things are, are about the same. I mean, pe- people are still interested in, in pursuing treatment. Um, you know, we, uh, we have a fee for service practice and, and it's patients are, are really excited about coming and, and, and having, paying for care that they feel like has value. Um, And, and so I think, I think there's always room for that. 100%. I completely agree. And so I think that's the biggest piece here is that um, there will always be the need for great dentistry and great dentists and creating that value. People will come, you know, come to see you and pay your full fee. You just have to believe it can happen first. And uh, how much of your team plays a role in the gingival architecture process in your practice? A lot or a little? I'd love to know that. Well, um, they, uh, it's interesting, you know, uh, one of my assistants that's been with me for 28 years, she always talks about it's one of her favorite procedures. She just loves it. Because, Why? Because it is so transformational so quickly. And so as, as, as soon as you remove that collar of tissue and then know what you need to do with the underlying bone. But as soon as you remove that collar of tissue from a tooth, you already see this huge change. Um, and, and, um, and you can just see where it's going and you have more work to do. Um, you know, I mean, you have to then, uh, contour the bone. And if it's a single tooth, many times we do that with a transcellular approach. Um, John, and, and I developed a new chisel, but it was really John's idea uh, to use a, a Weedlestat chisel and you can use a transcellular approach so you don't have to reflect the tissue, don't have to suture. Um, and so the majority of the time, the bone in the maxillary anterior is a millimeter or less at the crest. So you can slide under the, the free gingival margin, go all the way to the bone, alter the bone with the chisel, um, and then not have to suture. And so it can really expedite the process and the patient has 
very minimal post-op discomfort. Now, when you get up to, you know, four or five teeth, that doesn't make a lot of sense. It's easier to reflect a flap. And then an assistant really is helpful in big part because of suturing. Um, you know, suturing in the mouth is not so easy. Uh, I have a sister who's an oculoplastic surgeon and she used to, when uh, before allograft became really popular, she would uh, harvest uh, palatal tissue to uh, reconstruct eyelids. And, um, and so uh, she, um, she said to me one day, I do not know how you work in that dark hole. And, uh, and you know, we just become used to it, but suturing like any other skill is, it takes time and, and really it's helpful to have it be forehanded. So for your learn to, to, you know, when you're passing the needle in approximately the system, you know, picks it up from the palatal side, passes it back, you know, however you do that, but it, it can be much easier doing it with an assistant. So uh, it's great and, and they love it. They love the transformation. So they do all the post-op instructions with the patients. My administrative staff do the pre-op instructions with the patient when they schedule. Um, so we have all those systems in place uh, and it works really well. I love it. I absolutely love it. And one of my favorite things to always ask people that are on the inside, because you get, you're privy to so many great conversations and you get to see what's coming and what's on the horizon a little bit. What, what can we anticipate? It's anyone's guess, but what's the future look like for gingival architecture? What do you, what if I interview you two years from now and you go, guess what we can do now? What do you think it'll be? Well, the interesting thing, Kirk, is, is that John Coyce has been teaching this subject matter Oh, more than 25 years. And out of all the courses he teaches, this one has been about the same content. Most of the literature that comes out just reinforces what we already know and teach. So there has not been a lot of changes. So once you master the knowledge, you'll have it, which is a really beautiful thing. It is. And, um, and so... You know, right at the beginning of the course, he talks about how the normal relationship of the free gingival margin to the bone on the facial aspect of the tooth is three millimeters. And interproximally, that relationship is four from the, from the tip of the papilla to the bone in a normal crustal relationship. He said, so if we ask questions during this course, just answer a three or a four and you'll be right the majority of time. <laughs> <laughs> See, I love it. He makes it simple enough. You can't make up your own stuff. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's true. And then you see even some of the smartest dentists in the room going, he's right. I'm like, I don't even, I don't think I would debate that for one second. So that is so awesome. 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 Um, I want you to talk about what you guys are doing at the Coist, but any last thought before we do that, any last thoughts you have, Betsy, on just why I would do gingival architecture, why I'd want to learn more about how I would use it. Any, any last things you'd share? Yep. You know, predictability, you know, to just have that control. I mean, we're dentists, we're, we're a little bit of, you know, we like control and um, to be able to have that control and place the tissue where you want it, bone where you want it, to know where it is when you go to prep the teeth, it's, it just helps every, you know, helps people so much. And it's so simple uh, to learn. So I, I encourage everyone to, to learn how to do that. It, yeah. it, you'll find you'll use it every day in your practice. 
I love it. I love it. Now, I want you to talk about what you're doing out the Koi Center, what you teach. And if I've never heard of the Koi Center, like, where do I get started? I think it's a phenomenal place to continue your education. But where would I go? There's so many courses, Betsy. Which one? Once I look at it, where do I start? Yeah. So KoiCenter.com. Um, and the website's amazing. Uh, so and and the first two courses most people take are, are treatment planning and occlusion. Um, and, and John does those courses so well. And there are, there are mentors, um, and clinical instructors that help, but John teaches the majority of the course content for all the courses. Um, and then also the, the, the restorative periodontal interface is typically the third course, which is the course I help with out at the center, um, where we created those surgical models really helps connect in people's brain, what they're seeing on the screen to what they're doing with their hands. Um, and so that really helps people um, so that when they go back to practice, they can implement right away. And for some people, that's the first course they do. Um, it is one of the courses that is not, you don't have to have a prerequisite to have taken those first two courses. You could start with that course if you feel like, oh, I've had occlusion, you know, somewhere else. And I don't really feel like I know, you know, need to take that. It's actually how I started out at the Coy Center. I took the restorative periodontal interface because I was working on accreditation in the ACD. I needed that skill set. And then I'm sitting there and I'm hearing John present cases and I'm hearing him talk about occlusion and I'm hearing him talk about prep design and I'm thinking, and I had no intention of going back for another course, none whatsoever. And I thought to myself, he seems like kind of a sharp guy. Mm-hmm. I think I can learn a few more things from him. And so I signed up for another course and that typically happens. I mean, you, you're just, pulled in because he's such an amazing educator. Um, it's like a mini pros residency. So it's, yeah. it's so amazing. And then the other course I help with out there is I, and it seems very, it seems old school, but it's a, it's a diagnostic mock-up course. So we basically take all these principles that John teaches about how to treatment plan a patient the diagnosis and the treatment plan and applying it to the models. So say step one, your maxillary and incis- maxillary edge position, you're planning on adding two millimeters to the centrals. Well, the students actually do that on mounted models. We, we do several cases over the course of three days. Um, and by the end, they do a full mouth wax up um, on a very complicated patient. Uh, that took me um, three years to restore just because the patient needed to stage the treatment over time. But we also talk about staging treatment, like patient gives you a budget, you know, they can only afford to do $15,000 a year. So how are you going to stage this full mouth rehab and make it work? And uh, so people leave that course really having an understanding to better stage treatment, to better treatment plan, because when we get to, um, you know, say you want to add this much to the maxillary incisal edge position, you want to add a millimeter to the posterior, you want to do this to the lower incisors, and you think you want to do something else to the lo- lower posterior teeth, well, how's that all going to work? Right. And people don't, in a three-dimensional way, understand that. So we, we've created a very specific system maxillary incisal edge position, maxillary buckle cusp, 
just the aesthetics and then mandibular incisal edge position, just based on aesthetics, and then close the articulator. And what, is, what does that do to the cuspids? And a really class two patient that might have changed things such that you can't couple anymore in the front, which could create speech problems, chewing problems. So then we start to alter things and look at how can we change that before we do the mandibular occlusal plane. So they really have this understanding of how the aesthetics and the function all work together. And by the time people leave, they're like, I, I get it now. I, I really understand it. Um, and I love seeing that. I, because for me, I, I used to sit there when people would treatment plan cases and say, oh, I think I want to do this and I want to do this based on the face. And I mean, the big question in the room is, well, how's that going to work? Right. How, how's, how's that going to work in the bite? Yes, you want to do all these things, but how's that going to How's that going to function? And and so for me, I always had to apply wax to my models, you know, equilibrate the models if it needed that or apply wax and do it in a trial way. Because when I received a full mouth wax up from the lab, I had no idea how they got there. Yep. It was it wasn't diagnostic to me. It was just a beautiful wax up, but it didn't tell me how they achieved that. And so it didn't help me. And I had all kinds of problems. It wasn't until I started applying wax to the models or now you can start to do it digitally. But even then, it's 2D. Mm -hmm. It's not like you can spin, you know, it's not the same as doing it on models. And I think people that have transitioned laboratory technicians into digital, they did a lot of 3D first. You yes. know, they did it on the models first, and they have this amazing understanding um, of managing the occlusion. Um, and so to learn that, is, it's been so great, and I love teaching it. I love to see people work through that. Yeah, you are an amazing teacher. Now, I'm going to lead you with this question because you're speaking to a special place in my heart. I tell people all the time, you got to go. Now, I have my own answer, but I'm going to ask you this one. This is what I get. But, you know, Betsy, I... I it's, it's a lot of money to go and I don't have the time to go. I'm sure you hear these too from young dentists that are just a little stressed. What would you say to somebody who's like, I don't have the money or the time to go, you know, um, out to the Koi Center and start this process? What would you say? Yeah, I mean, not, none of us have the money or the time. We can all, we, I mean, we, we all make choices. Yeah. And, um, and so you have to make the time and you have to, you have to set aside the money and set something else aside um, to do it. So you just have to make it happen. And any of us can make it happen if we want it. I, I could set aside one week, you know, one three-day course a year when I first started going out to the Koi Center because I was going through accreditation in the ACD. So I wanted to go to that meeting. And then I would do one course course a year. That's all I could afford to do time-wise and money-wise. But I made sure when I was leaving one course that I would sign up for the next one. And it was a year out. Um, but I would sign up so that I had that commitment that I was going to do that. And I couldn't wait to do it. Yeah. And for me, it was actually good because then I would go home and implement what I'd learned. Um, and I would have questions. Like some things didn't implement maybe you know, maybe I'm a slow learner or something, but I, you know, like I would be like, oh, doing this face bow isn't, I'm struggling with this or I'm, you know, I'm having problems with this. Then when I would go back 
after really trying to work through it, then I would just be, I would ask the question, like, I'm having trouble doing this. And someone would show me, one of the mentors would show me how to do that. And I'd be like, oh, oh, I remember John saying that, but I forgot that piece. Right. And, um, and so, no, this is great. This is great now. And because I was ready to, I was ready for the information and, um, and I hadn't been before. So it was always helpful to have that time to implement and then go back. But in answer to your question, you just have to make it happen. I agree. I agree. I tell everybody, just get there. I promise you. And I had a young female just come in. She's like, that changed my life. I'm like, I told you it isn't about the information so much because you're going to get the best information anywhere. You're going to come back with a fire. You know, uh, it's exciting. You know, you start to see the puzzle a little bit better. You're also in an incredible community. You know, you got people that are willing to help you and say, come visit me at my practice. I'll show you how I do this. And so you're not on this journey alone, right? Right. Don't know. There are some amazingly talented people that come through the Coy Center and a lot of teaching centers, you know, but to have that networking and just sit and be able to chat to the person that with, you know, next to you and find out, you know, they do implants and they do sleep medicine. And you I mean, you can learn so much from the people around you as well. Right. Incredibly talented people. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Betsy, I'm going to keep having you back over and over and over again. Is that okay? Like, I want to, I want to do a whole case presentation. one. I want to learn how you communicate with your patients. Like, an, um, I, I know you've done a lot of work and you're a systems. I mean, you love systems. So it's just great to learn from you every single time I have on you. So th- have you on here. So I thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Kurt. Yeah. And so for those stick around while we say goodbye to everybody else, but thank you guys for listening. All the things that Betsy and I mentioned, the links to the Koi Center, those courses, everything uh, will all be on here as show notes. So if you're just listening on Spotify, iTunes, uh, Twitch, don't, don't worry about it. It just flip up to the show notes. You'll see there's links and you just click right on the links. It'll take you right there. Check it out. I promise you, you will love it. You'll come back more excited than ever about uh, an awesome future in dentistry. So um, keep sending us suggestions for things that you guys want to see. I'll have Betsy back over and over again, and we can just ask her these difficult questions and get the answers from the rock stars and the experts. But uh, until we see you guys next time, keep watching or keep listening to the best practices show. You guys have a great day. So there you have it. Another great episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hey, and thank you for showing up. I just want to thank you for being here and sharing the good word with your friends. And if you're really enjoying the podcast, could you do me a favor? Could you go to wherever you consume the podcast and just give us a four or five star review? Here's what that does. It allows us to find other great people like you. I love this profession so much. I'm going to spend the rest of my professional life finding great information so that you can consume it and your friends can consume it so that you can create a better practice and a better life. So keep spreading the word and we will see you guys soon. Have a great day, everybody.